Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. You know, you're celebrating your centenary this year, a hundred years of service, knowing him and making him known. This year, your president has said that this will be our theme to make him known. And of all the Christian universities and colleges, Christian colleges in America, uh, I couldn't get the exact precise statistics and percentages. But one thing we do know, CIU is right at the very top of those who've made an impact globally in making Christ known. 24,000 alumni have touched 160 countries. Your alumni have served in leadership positions in over 100 mission agencies and organizations. I'm not sure there's any other school in modern history that can say that about themselves. But there's something even more important. Not only have your alumni impacted organizations, not only have they gone out globally, but your alumni have paid the ultimate price. If you make a trip over to Memorial Hall, you will see on that wall five plaques representing six of your alum, your alumni, who gave the ultimate price. Those are men. I tell your president, I wish we had that capacity and technology to bring those men back in that 3D ghost and let them just stand behind me this morning and let you see them every second during what I'm going to say. Because I want to share with you something from John chapter 12 that Jesus sort of laid down the principle to real, real Success. Real success. The key to that is encapsulated in these words, losing your life to really find it. The setting of this story is Passover, and you know exactly what that means. The lamb that was slain and, and the blood put on the doorpost uh, when Israel was in Egypt to spare them from the death angel that was passing through. Now Jesus, who's the true Paschal Lamb, the true Passover, he's now in Jerusalem and it's Passover. Some Gentiles who've been coming from literally around the world are there and there are two Greeks that want to see him. And when they ask to see him, this is the response he gives. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what he simply mean by that is, I am now ready to be that Passover lamb. And he explains that by using the image of a seed being planted into the ground and dying to produce life. And of course, we know this refers to his own death, burial, and then resurrection. But the implication goes far beyond what happened that day and that week in Jerusalem. It comes right down to 2022, right here in this chapel on this campus. And those words are for you. So let me read them to you. Truly, truly, 
I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Flowing out of that passage are losing and finding principles that I'm just simply going to show, reveal them. You can jot them down. I can email them to you, but I'm not going to dwell on them. But here's the formula. Here's the recipe. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, there's a humbling. Into the earth, there's a hiding. And dies, there's a hurting. It will bear much fruit. That's the harvest. But what I want to tell you this morning is I want to paint up a picture. I'm actually going to tell you one giant story about a man who lived this, this out like none other. Actually like the six men whose name resides on the wall in Memorial Hall. I want to talk to you about David Livingston. Livingston has just now returned to Great Britain from 16 years in Africa. He was the first white man to ever penetrate the interior of Africa. And now Livingston is to speak at the University of Glasgow. The university wanted to honor him with the degree of doctor of law. But possibly this old missionary would have declined had he known what was waiting for him in that chapel setting. For in that day, it was the custom for the undergraduates to heckle the speakers that came. And these undergrads were ready for this preacher. They had pea shooters like every good university student had. They had toy trumpets, rattles, noisemakers of every description, and they were ready to give it to the old guy who'd been traipsing around Africa. But suddenly Livingston walked out on the platform with the tread of a man that had walked 11,000 miles. His left arm hung limply at its side, having almost been ripped from his body by a huge lion that had crushed his shoulder. His face was a dark leathery brown from 16 years in the African sun. It was furrowed with innumerable lines from 27 bouts of African fever, which had racked and emaciated his body. He described himself in his diary as nothing but a ruckle of bones. He had been attacked by savages. He was half deaf from rheumatic fever, half blind from a branch that had slapped him in the eye while trying to penetrate the jungle. Those university students stared at this man and here they saw a life being burned out for God. Not a rattle move, not a foot shuffle. A hush crept over that vast auditorium and they listened in rapt silence as David Livingston told them about his journeys in Africa, about the vast needs of the African population. Shall I tell you, he said, Shall I tell you what sustained me in the midst of all these toils and hardships and incredible loneliness? He said it was the promise, the promise of the most sacred honor. It was the promise that reads, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
David Livingston was born in Blantyre, Scotland in 1813. His father was a saintly Sunday school teacher who many times had set David on a hassock in front of him and told him stories of great heroes of the faith, those who had taken the gospel to the four corners of the world. And in particular, there was one story that enthralled Livingston like no other, the story of a famous medical missionary by the name of Charles Goodsloff, a man who had given his all for the Savior. But it was just hero worship, pure and simple. But years later, Living discovered that Gutzloff himself had a hero, a hero that's not merely a man, a hero that was a divine Savior. And so coming to understand the gospel, Livingston put his faith in Christ. From that day forward, he never hesitated to share the story of the gospel. He said, it warmed my heart over and over. This is the power, he said that God uses to redeem, ruin humanity. And he devoted his life to fulfilling that great commission. At this time, we take a peek into his diary. In a moment by himself, he had written a prayer in his diary, a threefold prayer that literally to truly take it on your lips will almost stick. You can hardly say it, but this is the prayer. He said, Lord, send me anywhere only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any tie but the tie that binds me to thy service and to thy heart. And the voice of God came back to Livingston, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember the first part of that prayer, Lord, send me anywhere. Livingston went to medical school and prepared to be a medical missionary. Finally, he graduated and was ordained and prepared to sail when suddenly the door slammed shut. War had broken out. Livingston couldn't go. He turned to the Lord and said, you promised to go with me and guide me. Why have you forsaken me right at this moment? But the voice came back to Livingston. I've not forsaken you, David, but I'm not sending you to China because that's where he had planned to go. While he was waiting, one of the few missionaries who had ever gone to the coastal regions of Africa was Robert Moffat. He came to Livingston's hometown on furlough and he spoke about Africa. He said something that gripped the heart of this young man with a passion to serve God. Moffat said, often I have looked to the north, to the vast plains of the north. I have sometimes in the morning sun seen the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. Those words gripped the heart of David Livingston. A thousand villages, no missionary, no Christ, no gospel, no life, darkness, death. And he prayed again, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. So Livingston sails for Africa. He plunged into the jungles from the south and found it to be absolutely impenetrable. He returned to the coast and sailed from the center of Africa and decided to penetrate the interior from there. No man had ever done this. And after innumerable hardships, he finally opened a way into the interior of Africa. But remember the prayer, Lord, lay any burden on me? That prayer was answered. A huge lion almost ripped his arm from his body, crushing his shoulder, leaving him permanently crippled. But it also brought a blessing in disguise for while recuperating at the mission station, Robert Moffat came and brought his beautiful daughter, Mary. For David and Mary, it was love at first sight. 
Soon they were married. She shared his zeal and concern for the evangelization, evangelization of this dark continent. But unfortunately, as they worked together, the months of long hardship and toil were just too much for Mary. They had watched one of their children die as they attempted to cross one of the vast deserts of Africa and their water supply ran out, a burden that almost crushed Livingston. And finally, he came to the most difficult decision of his life, to send his wife and three remaining children back to England, that they might survive and be educated. The loneliness weighed on him. It almost crushed him. How difficult that burden was to bear. But adding to that burden was the criticism that he received, that he had sent his wife and children away so he could ramble around Africa and he truly didn't love them. That cut Livingston to the heart. But his letters, his letters tell a far different story. A letter to his wife said, my dearest Mary, I see no face compared to that sunburnt one, which has often greeted me with its kind look. Gather the children around, kiss them for me. Tell them that I love them and that I've only left them for the love of Jesus. And they must love him too. For five long agonizing years, he never saw the face of his wife or children. His brother wrote to him during this time and he said to his brother, my heart is sore. I shall never see my children again. They will grow out of my knowledge. They're gonna forget me. But I grudge him nothing who died for me. My tears flow. But he knows that my heart grudges him nothing of all that I have. And still the haunting specter of a thousand villages in the morning sun with no gospel. So he writes in his diary these words, I will open a path into the interior of Africa or perish. I shall not swerve a hair's breadth while life is spared. My great object is to be like him and to imitate him as far as he can be imitated. Nothing earthly shall deter me from my task. Cause me to despair. I encourage myself in the Lord my God. And he plunges deeper into the jungle. Strengthened by the words, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. The third part of his prayer went like this. It said, sever any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. He had already lost a child. His family was thousands of miles away. But finally, after all of these years, Livingston was going home. He would see his wife and his children, his mother, and more importantly, he'd see his father. Oh, how he looked forward to that day that he could sit on that same old hassock and look at his father and tell him of stories of savages that had been subdued to the Savior. With great joy and expectation, he burst into his old home in Blantyre to find that chair empty. They had just buried his father. And the man who had faced hostile savages and roaring animals without so much as blinking, sat down on that ancient hassock and wept like a child. Yet Mary was there. Did she still love him? Well, we can steal a glimpse into her heart for a poem she wrote to welcome him home, she said, a hundred thousand welcomes 
how my heart is gushing hoar with love and wonder thus to see your face once more. How did I ever live without thee? These long, long years of woe. It seems as if it would kill me to be parted from you now. The months passed. The fellowship was sweet. But yet always the words rang to go and preach the gospel, haunted by a thousand villages in the morning sun with no God, no gospel. So finally he set sail again for Africa. The years passed. Finally, all of the children were old enough that Mary wrote that she could come and serve alongside him. The encouragement filled his heart. His soul was thrilled at last he could be by the woman that he had loved and they could serve God together. For months, she sailed upon the ocean, boated up the treacherous African rivers, finally to be greeted by her husband, only to be stricken down with a grievous African fever. Livingston abandoned everything. He poured every ounce of medical skill into caring for his wife. Night after night, day after day, he sat by her side. He wiped her fevered brow. He ministered to her, but slowly, Mary worsened. And finally, she breathed her last. Mary Livingston was dead. David Livingston buried her under a huge baobab tree in Chupanga on the banks of the Zambezi River. And when he had set up the marker, he fell down on the mound of dirt and once again wept like a child. But the prayer came back to his heart. Lord, sever any tie, but the tie that binds me to thy service and to thy heart Livingston's body was broken. His loved ones were gone. He seemed absolutely alone. Was he discouraged? He had enough discouragement to kill a thousand men. But was he overcome? Did the promise fail him? The words in his diary respond to that when he wrote at this time. He said, my Jesus, my King, my life. My all, again, I consecrate my heart to thee. Returning to Ujiji, he found that the natives had stolen all of his food, but worst of all, they'd stolen his medicine chest that had the quinine and all the medicines needed to heal the African fevers. To Livingston, this was absolutely a sentence of death. He cried out to God, you promised not to forsake me. Why have you let this happen? While he was still on his knees in prayer, he had not seen the face now of a white man for five years. He's in the interior of Africa. He's broken, discouraged, he's praying. And he looks up from prayer and sees the face of a white man walking down that dusty trail. And behind this white man was a whole caravan and above them unfurled and flying in the wind was the American flag. It was Henry M. Stanley who uttered those unforgettable words, Dr. Livingston, I presume. He had been commissioned by James Gordon Bennett of the New York Herald to find Livingston. Bennett had said, they say Livingston's dead. I don't believe it. 
I just believe he's in the midst of Africa. He's lost, he's ill, he's forsaken. Stanley, you go and find him. You nourish him back to health and bring him out to civilization. Henry Stanley had searched for two long years for David Livingston and found him on that particular day. He brought medicine and wholesome food. He nourished him back to health. For four long months, Henry Stanley lived in the same hut with David Livingston, and this is what he said about himself. Stanley said, I was the biggest swaggering atheist in the whole world. The man that I was sharing a hut with was apparently not an angel, yet I could find no fault in his life. His compassion, his earnestness, the quietness with which he went about his work, the sympathy he showed all quickened the sympathy in my own cold heart. And finally, after all of these months, David Livingston converted me, even me, to Christ. Livingston, however, would not return to civilization. His life was almost spent. He wrote in his diary, Lord, help me finish my work to this year and to your honor. And so he actually did. He came to the place where his strength was completely spent. His feet were so lacerated and ulcerated with boils that he couldn't walk. He had nothing to eat but dried corn and gradually trying to chew it, all of his teeth had fallen out. He was forsaken by all of his native followers but three. He came to the place where he couldn't walk or stand and he had to take his belt up three notches to stop the hunger pains, but he couldn't go a step further. Was this the end of the great missionary? Actually, no. Livingston commanded his friends to put him on a stretcher. They carried him forward. He said, I will not swerve one hair's breadth while life is spared. And so deeper he plunges into the jungle on a stretcher. Can't stand, but he can only be propped up. They prop him up and he preaches the gospel to all he comes in contact with. Finally, finally the day comes when he can neither stand, walk, or be moved. It's pouring rain in the heart of Africa. A small hut is quickly made. Livingston's lying on his cot. It's the middle of the night. A servant is lying across the doorway leading into his tent to keep the wild beast away. The servant is awakened. He hears Livingston stirring. He turns and watches the old missionary agonizingly roll out of his cot and fold his hands in prayer. The boy goes back to sleep. The next morning, he sees that Livingston is still on his knees in prayer. Several delegations come asking for his help, but he says Livingston's in prayer. We can't disturb him. As the morning slips away, he finally becomes disturbed. He slips into the tent. He whispers those African words, Buana, sir. Buana, sir. Only silence. He creeps closer to the missionary. He reaches out and he touches a cold, dead cheek. There is nothing that becomes his life so well as that of leaving it. The only man I know who died on his knees in prayer. He had lived his life and he left this life in the presence of the man and the one who said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end 
of the age. Livingston's heart was in Africa, and so the Africans literally cut open his body, took out his heart, and planted it under a tree in Chitambo. And then they sent his body back to England where he's buried at Westminster Abbey. This man spent 39 years in the heart of Africa. He trudged 29,000 miles, leaving a path of footprints from the south to the north, from the east to the west. And on the face of the continent of Africa, the figure of a cross. Light shined in darkness. Two million Africans were brought the gospel. And that light continues to shine till this day, until that continent is probably one, becoming one of the most significantly Christian places in the world. And through every mile of the way, he was strengthened with the promise of his Lord that said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. Livingston was a student in a university just like you. A man you're studying right now was a student right here, Chet Bitterman. And now his name resides in bronze on a wall where he laid down his life for the gospel. This chapel is filled with unbelievably gifted, talented Christian young men and young women who came here because of the Christian emphasis of this university. You came here because of your love for God. You came here to be challenged by these words, unless a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Another famous missionary from another college, said it like this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.